Testing, testing. Still way too loud. Can you get Jamie? Can you please come get Ellie? Okay, let's try the skin. You're listening to The Neurodivergent Nurse, and I'm your host, Jamie. I'm a registered nurse who has ADHD. On this podcast, we will talk all things ADHD. I'm really just beginning to learn about this diagnosis and how to navigate through it, but I am so excited to take you on this messy and raw journey with me so that we can learn together. So let's get started. Hello, all of my neurodivergent friends. If you have not yet, be sure to listen to the previous episode, which is actually the part one to this episode about ADHD and police interactions. I hope you really enjoy the second half of this show. And also, just so you know, if you have young ears that could be listening to this podcast, or if you're easily offended by colorful language, then this episode may not be one that you want to listen to. We can explain that away. It's the totality of everything that the officer Mm -hmm. is trying to build on. So I think the sooner that you get it into the conversation, like, hey, I understand I'm a little fidgety and everything, but I have ADHD and I am like really stimulated right now. And this is really bad for my mental health. Even if that does not immediately process into the officer's brain, and let's be fair, I'll tell you right now, officers don't get any training on ADHD very little with mental health in general, Mm -hmm. which is a crime within itself, but we can talk about that later. But the point is, do not expect them to understand or recognize your condition, okay? There are trained medical professionals that can't. An officer that gets zero to little training is not going to. So the sooner you can lay the groundwork and say, hey, officer, you need to know that this is part of why I'm freaking out is I have this mental health diagnosis and this is part of what you know my side effects are that will also help and even if he doesn't note it into the report that's okay if it does go to court you can say well i told the officer 30 minutes into this you know i had adhd if he doesn't factor that in that's his fault that's not your fault so that's why i try and tell people is the more information they have the sooner they have it and that they can put it all together because again very rarely are they going to make a judgment off one fact they're trying to look at all the facts Okay, so let's just say we're at the scene of a wreck. Well, if you're at the wreck, was it caused by an animal? No, it wasn't. Okay. Were you speeding? Oh, you weren't? Okay. So that's what I'm saying is it kind of leads to all the facts, Mm -hmm. not just one thing. If you're going to bring it up and you feel comfortable giving that information, the sooner the better. And I do think that's also great advice because also I don't like to bring attention, just me personally as Jamie, you know, if I get pulled over, like, I don't want to bring attention to the fact that I'm terrified. I don't want to bring attention to the fact that my mind goes absolutely blank. You know, there, there have been checkpoints before where you've had to do a field sobriety test. And one mm-hmm. of the, one of the field sobriety tests was, okay, say the alphabet starting with F. I have no idea what comes after F at that point. My terror internally, I cannot process or think clearly. I really appreciate that. And the way that you laid it out too, to be able to have that conversation, say, hey, I know that my hands are trembling. I have ADHD. I have a history of like panic attacks in these situations where my mind goes blank. I just want you to be aware of that while we're interacting. I think that is a great, great recommendation if someone feels comfortable sharing that, especially if we have the blanket of every person we stop could potentially be harmed to us as a police officer. But for them to have insight, especially if this is part of a reason why diagnosis is great, because if you do have that official diagnosis, heaven prevents that it actually goes to court or whatever, but like you can show that was actually true and real and symptoms of the disorder. So, yeah. So you brought up a lot of stuff that is really good to talk about. So first of all, unfortunately I did train police officers, you know, I was involved in writing, you know, regulations for our department with training officers and that felt great. But to assume every officer has the same legal, ethical, and moral integrity of everybody else is incorrect. Okay. So I'm trying to talk on the behalf of the majority of officers. 
is somebody listening to this right now going to run into a real dickhead? Yes, it's going to happen. It's unfortunate. I'm sorry. What I'm trying to do is set the stage for the 99% of the time. All right, that's it. One of the things you brought up, and I was like, that is 100% correct, is literally, I can tell you right now, I will tell you the same first two things I taught every officer I trained, every person that rode in my patrol car, literally first two things. Rule one, and that's literally what it's called. Rule one is we go home alive. And when you're working in a job where that literally has to be rule one, that should tell you something, okay? Rule one is I go home alive. You go home alive. Rule two is everything else is fucking backseat to rule one, okay? So at the end of the day, as long as we're safe, that's what the overwhelming sense I was trying to get to police officers was be safe, okay? If you don't think it's safe, don't do it. There you go. I mean, that's literally what it is. And the reason that's important is because of what you just said. When that officer is walking up to your car, let's do a car stop. Let's talk about car stops for a second. So that officer walking up to your car is a thousand times more terrified than you are. Guaranteed, okay? For a lot of reasons. First of all, he doesn't know what he's walking up to. He has no clue. Second of all, even if you are kosher, and everything about you is totally cool. You're like, ah, yeah, I was going eight over. Here's my license, my proof of insurance, my registration. Guess what? Traffic. I have to keep watching traffic because I personally have been hit by a car on a traffic stop. Mm. Okay. So, I mean, it, it was a very minor side swipe, but it could have killed me. You know, I mean, and I am not alone in any way, shape or form, you know, so I have to worry about you. I have to worry about your occupants. I have to worry about what's in your car. I have to worry about where we're at. I have to worry about other traffic. That's five things that all can kill me. And that's just like, I turned on my lights and pulled you over. Okay. So, so when people are like, well, I was scared of the cop. Yeah. Well, let me tell you that cop has got a lot on his mind as he's pulling you over. So that's the start of the stop. Okay. Imagine every time you go into a room to start an IV, you're like, this person's going to try and kill me. Mm -hmm. That is a really hard spot. <laughs> and unfortunately, and that's one of the things we talked about earlier with confidence. Unfortunately, these officers that never grow any confidence, they aren't able to completely overcome that, I think. Like never was not afraid. But you have to learn walking up to the car, trust in yourself, your equipment, your training, and what you're going to do. And I don't know that every officer gets to that level. So that's why I was also trying to preface this with do not assume everybody, you know, gets the same level of training. Some people like myself, I, I took my own vacation to go to training courses. I did. I spent my own money on extra ammunition to practice shooting at the range. I took a heavy investment in myself and my capabilities. Not everybody does that. So having said all that, when that cop is walking up to your car, if you think the worst thing in his world is you going 38, you know, in a 25, it's not, okay? Realistically, that's probably the most minor thing he's going to deal with that date. But I understand and I hear what you're saying, that you are terrified. So hopefully recognizing that that cop is in just the same position you are as he's walking up to your car can help set the stage because that goes back to, Oh, I forgot my insurance. I'll just reach in my glove box real quick. Don't, okay? I'll be honest. I was in training at the police academy, and one of the things they did is randomly when you do a car stop, they jump out of the car. Now, here's the thing. The instructors are really great because they didn't always attack you. Sometimes they just stood there. They wanted to see what you do. Like, what do you do if somebody jumps out in the middle of a car stop? Like, how do you respond? Um, so those are all the types of things that are going through our head as we're walking up. So- one of the things I tell people is, first of all, don't move. Like I put my, to this day, me, myself, I've been pulled over, hands 10 and 2 on the steering wheel. If there's internal lights in the car and it's any, I don't care if it's daylight, I will turn on internal lights in my car. I like that. Yep. I turn on my internal lights and I keep my hands up on the wheel and I let them approach me. And honestly, the thing is a lot of the times the questions, they sound complicated if you're overthinking them, if he's just like, Hey, which, go ahead. Which your wife has ADHD. So yes, you have yeah. to know. I think that's one of the great points for somebody with ADHD listening to this is because he's going to give you one specific command at a time now, or the question and a command, like to him, it's not the end of the world to you with ADHD. It might be. Mm -hmm. So that again 
is not a bad time to go. If he goes, hey, do you know how fast you were going? Can I see your license proof of insurance? To him, that's just a question. To you, that just became a, oh my God, he gave me a detailed list of things to do. Exactly, right. So realistically, at that point in time, I would say, hey, officer, just so you know, I have ADHD. I have trouble with multitasking. Whatever your function or, or dysfunction may be, let him know. Because if he's assuming, well, I'm just saying, if I'm going to assume me and you are the exact same, and all of a sudden you go, I don't know what you're talking about, and you just sit there and freeze up, which if you're scared, you might do. To me, that's like, okay, that is a whole bunch of warning signs. Like, these are not things. They already think that I'm guilty of all the things. I probably murdered someone. (laughs) Someone reported a five foot nothing, 120 pound girl four miles back because they asked where I was coming from. I remember one time I literally said when they asked like, oh, where are you coming from? I had Alabama license plate. I technically lived in North Carolina and my driver's license, I think, was North Carolina. So I'm like, oh, shoot. It, it was like a big thing with my ex-husband, whatever. So so the different places made sense over who was paying for registration yeah. and all, right? And I was like, well, I mean, I'm coming. I know this says that I'm coming from Alabama, but I really, I live in North Carolina and I know that I'm in Massachusetts. So I don't know where you want me to tell you where I'm coming from, which so, is so again, horrible. So, so, <laughs> that was again, awful. It was horrible. But again, look what you literally just proved my point he asked you one question you gave him four answers yeah don't, don't. he asked where are you coming from i'm coming from my camper <laughs> yeah, i'm a traveler yeah, like, yeah. Uh, you know i'm coming from my house and i'm traveling to general hospital there stop he didn't ask for everything else don't and this might be a good time to talk about yes like look the officer is going to take what other information you give him to form his opinion okay So I'm not telling you, and I never would tell you to lie. What I would tell you is be very clear and concise in your answers. If he asks you where you're coming from, don't tell him where you're going. Answer where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. I came from my house. Stop. Which I'm also going to throw this out there. I... Can I just also say, I appreciate your time very much so, because I know that we're like creeping up onto like an hour and 45 minutes. I don't care. I could talk about this all day. It doesn't bother me. Well, it means a lot to me because it really is something that is so important for people who are like me because we don't know any better. And that sounds strange. But anyway, so I just want to thank you so much for your time right now. I'm going to thank you again later, but- I have no idea where I was going with that. ADHD. Well, so you go ahead. What I was going to say is, so the point at this, yeah, you're right, but that's it. ADHD. Mm-hmm. There you go. I mean, so don't, this is the time if you're ever going to take a deep breath and summon whatever inner Yoda you got to try and guide you through something, this is that time. Because saying everything you just said, again, trained highway drug interdiction officer, I'm like, holy cow, I have got to unpack everything that this girl just said. Because here's the thing, as I've already said 10 times, you gave it to me. You did it, not me. I All I asked is where you're coming from. You decided to give me your life history and it sounds like a drug runner. Sounds like you're guilty also if you're trying to explain all of this. I think a lot of officers... And me included, because I feel like I was in the majority. I don't feel like I was an exception. I felt like I was the rule. And a lot of us, I'm like, (laughs) I don't know how many times I've said this. I'm like, I don't fucking care if you're guilty. That's not my job. My job is to catch you if you're doing something bad. So when someone says, oh, the cop thinks I'm guilty, guess what? That's not his job. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if he thinks you're guilty. That's the judge and a jury and a prosecutor's job. So you can worry about that with them, okay? The majority of police officers, honestly, they're guys. They love what they do. I miss, I still miss being a police officer. I loved it. I loved every second of it, but they have a job to do and they like doing it and they want to go home at the end of their shift. So there is this preconceived notion, especially in the United States. And I've lived in foreign countries. I've talked to officers from foreign countries. It's not like this everywhere. This is a strictly very much American, you know, point of view of, well, the cops are out to get me. I got to be honest, me included, we're lazy. Okay, if there's one stereotype about police work, the majority of us are like, look, bro, if you want to pay me to sit in my car and not move, I'll let you. All right, I'll let you all day long. Now, when I was a rookie officer, was I a blue flamer and I wanted to go get into everything? Yeah, okay. But after about five years, 
cops are going, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've done it. I've worked the armed robbery. I've seen the shooting. I'm cool. I've seen it. I don't want to. So this misconception that officers want to create problems for you is just not, it's just not my take on it. You know, it's just not the way the majority, like I said, are there assholes? Yeah, I guarantee you there are. But like I said, I would put a high 90 percentage on, man, if you don't have to interact with them, they're not going to. They're they're not. Like if you're speeding and I'm working traffic, that's my job. Right. You know, if I get called to a domestic violence, I didn't want to be there. And I can't tell you how many times that was my retort. Why are you attacking me? I'm not attacking you. You called me to your house, you know, mm-hmm. but that's literally something I've said to suspects is they're like, why are you out to get me out to get you? You called me. <laughs> like I didn't come to your house. I wasn't sitting at my house going, I wonder what Joe at 1212 spring street is doing. Never once never crossed my, don't care. Don't care what Joe's doing. But when Joe gets into a fight with his wife and his neighbors call, you called me. I didn't come here. So Again, going back to the very, very, very beginning of all this, the cop is just assuming every, you know, he's going to have, I'm trying to hear, do my job. The more information you give him that is germane to you and how you can go through that interaction, great. If you don't want to give him any, you don't have to. But be aware, if you're sitting there shaking and you're like, I don't want to answer your questions, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. That starts to raise red flags because that's suspicious. You know, somebody somebody that does not want me involved in their life, that's what they would say. That's okay. You're an American citizen. You don't have to want me involved in your life. But drug dealers don't want me involved in their life either. Right. And so I have to now make the decision. Are you a drug dealer or are you Jamie? And I know that sounds dumb, but that's literally what you as a society, that's what you pay me to do. Or I keep saying me, but that's what you pay them to right. do is to go out and enforce those laws. So you're, we have created a situation where we're mad at cops for doing their job that I'm paying them and telling them to do. Mm-hmm. I, it just, it, it becomes a circle. And unfortunately the cops don't like it anymore. Right. The cops do not want to be looked at or have that stigma anymore. And they actually want society involved. I can't tell you how many shootings I worked where they're like, well, I'm not going to talk to the cops. But then they literally, same scene, somebody will be screaming, why aren't you doing anything about this? Okay, well, I literally just asked you who did it. There was 130 people outside, and none of you saw it, amazingly. 260 eyeballs did not see who shot this guy in plain sight in front of all of you. But you want me to fix it, but you won't tell me how. That's kind of the situation. (laughs) A lot of police officers, that's the frustration is society wants us to clean up unless it's them. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, stop speeders, but don't give me a ticket. Oh, I support the cops, but I'm not going to vote to raise taxes. I I like cops up to taxes. Oh, I'm sure I'm going to piss somebody off. Every time I see one of those blue line stickers, I actually am tired of seeing blue line stickers now because the vast majority of them are not police officers. They're not associated with police officers. They have nothing to do with police officers, but they have that blue line sticker on. And I guarantee you, nine times out of 10, if you ask that person, well, I want to raise taxes so we can give the cops more training and benefits and money and better equipment, they're, whoa, 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 whoa. I love cops unless they're writing me a ticket, harassing me, or I have to raise taxes. So they don't really love cops. You know, because they don't, they don't they really love cops. They also don't, and they also are like anti socialism. Which kind of goes into police offices, fire departments, and things like that as well. I mean, we can both just piss people off at the same time. But that is the reality of it. That's how they get paid for doing a very dangerous job. Every time someone says the word socialism, I, again, go back to, I'm like, oh, so you don't like firefighters? Oh, no, I love firefighters. No, you don't. Because if you love firefighters, you would realize they're a socialist program. Yeah. Because if it was capitalist, you would pay the firefighter to put out your house on fire. You wouldn't pay taxes. Mm-hmm. But the problem with that is everybody's like, well, that's great. Until the rich people have all the firefighters, mm-hmm. you know, until the 1% have all the firefighters. And then you're going to be like, well, wouldn't it be more fair if we all equally, I'm like, oh, so if we were socialist, 
Right. You know? so, so, yeah, the people that really hate socialism rarely embrace the fact that they are socialists. But they have the Blue Lives Matter. But they do. And the or blue have, line. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, they have that. Like, It's like, it's become some kind of, I'm going to, who I'm going to throw out a lot of words here. So the same people <laughs> that use the term virtue signaling, you know, the same people that will say, oh, you're just virtue signaling. I'm like, yeah, well, you have a blue line sticker on your car. And I guarantee you're not a cop. And I guarantee you've never voted to raise taxes. Mm-hmm. So who's really signaling at this point? But anyways, I'm we're, I'm getting us way off course here. <laughs> but the point is, going back to all this, not everybody's going to have the same level of training. Not everyone's going to have that same. So if you can do anything as the person with ADHD to equalize the field, to set a better, for lack of a better term, a table, like, hey, we're both going to have to deal with this, okay? Once you become, here's a good way to think about it. Once you become locked into that interaction with the police officer, you're not getting out of it. Okay, so I shouldn't say you're not getting out of it. You're not getting out of it that minute. Like you're not going to get out of it without sure. anything. Okay? Right. So you can either a cooperate, and I know people. There's this bad denotation with cooperate. Like, oh well, I'm doing whatever the cops tell me. Well, yeah, to an extent, because guess what? They have the legal authority to hold you. Like mm-hmm. that is literally their job. You know. So you can either cooperate and say, hey, I have ADHD. You know, I'm a little freaked out right now, but if you talk to me slowly, like, and give me some like simple commands about what we want to do to fix this problem, I guarantee you we can get through it. No problem. That officer would probably just shit their pants. They'd be so happy because now they don't have to guess. Like, I don't have to worry about you filing a complaint because you're mad because I didn't know you were ADHD. I don't have to guess at how to talk. I don't have to guess. Oh, okay. Will you please hand me your license? Oh, now will you please give me your insurance? You know, if I know that information as the officer, I can convey a much better and simpler, you know, line of communication so that we can both achieve the same goal. Because like I said, overwhelmingly police officers, they just want to go home. They want to have a good day at work. They want to go home. And so this fallacy of they're out to get people, I got to be honest, I worked at a fairly large police department. I don't know anybody that sat up and was like, today's the day. I'm like, but like, we wouldn't know what to do. So with that, because there are, there are officers that are not all great. I just want you to share a couple of things that you may know, because I've learned through the years that there are some things that are surprising to me that you don't have to comply with because I'm the person I overshare. If I'm in like second grade and somebody stole something, I'm going to try to tell this person all the ways that I didn't steal it. And if somebody asks something of me, I automatically say, oh yeah, of course, go ahead. There are some things that as citizens that are pulled over or whatever, that we do not have to comply to, that we can say no to, and it's not going to be held against us in a court of law. You started with a really good one. And I actually, again, my wife, ADHD, I've had the same conversation with her. If an officer pulls you over on the side of the highway, and I don't care how nice he is, I don't care what's going on. If he's like, hey, can I search your car? No. Now, me personally, I have no understanding or thought that there's going to be something illegal in my car or my wife's car. So I'm not worried about that. It's more honestly for me, it's more of like, this is annoying me and it's wasting my time. And to be completely fair, highway interdiction. Like I said, for all those rules I talked about earlier, you don't know what's going to be in the car. You don't know what the person's doing. You don't know what other traffic's doing. It is dangerous. I mean, I can send you video after video now of cars not involved in the traffic stop hitting people involved in traffic stops. Mm -hmm. Like it happens literally every day. First of all, it's dangerous. Unless they take you to an impound lot, which some places can offer, unless it's something like that, it's dangerous, right? Second of all, it's taking up your time, right? And third, you are 100% correct. You don't have to comply with that. If they are asking you, then that means that at that point it's voluntary. All right. Or if you're not sure, here's another great thing. Ask, do I have to let you? Mm, That's a good one. Yeah. Okay. Because there is, and I don't want to get too far into legal doctrine. You know, there's the Carroll doctrine. There's a couple other things that start to click into place where if I think you are, like, let's say I assume you are running drugs. Well, I might ask for voluntary consent, but if you say no, I'm like, okay, well, we're going to sit here until a canine or whatever. I get a warrant, whatever. Okay. That does not in any way make you look more guilty, by the way, going to court. Right. It's just not. But if I'm the police officer and you have now said, hey, I know my Fourth Amendment rights. I don't want someone searching my property. That's okay. 
But if I have enough evidence to apply for a warrant, I'll just apply for a warrant. Now, obviously, I'm going to try and not. If you give me verbal, you know, consent, I'm just going to search it. So it, it, I guess it's one of those you just have to make that decision at that time. I always just say no because, like I said, it's dangerous. I don't want to be at this traffic stop any longer than I have to be. All right. That, that's me. That's my personal thought and process on it. Again, I'm not worried about it at all. And if he says, well, we're going to hold you here till a canine gets here. Okay, bro, it's your time. All right. I don't care. Like, it's not going to make any difference to me. I guess if you're hauling a bunch of drugs, it makes a difference to <sighs> you. But for the, mo- for the majority of us or people that are interested in this because they're just scared, ask. Be like, I don't want you to search my car. Do I have to let you? So One of the things that me and you talked about pre-show was cops are legally allowed to lie to you. Here's what I would say. There's a small difference between what we just talked about and the overall. So in the case where we just talked about, if you specifically ask me, do I have to let you? And I say yes, I've just violated your Fourth Amendment right. So now anything I find, let's say I found a dead body, a hooker, and three pounds of cocaine in your car. None of that's going to be admissible in court because I've just violated your Fourth Amendment, right? Okay, so that's one way to look at it, (laughs) okay? Overall, cops can legally lie to you. I would tell you it's not very common. It's not the thing that people in their brain are imagining. Now, there have been some pretty hideous abuse of power in certain cases. And I think most cops would agree with that where they lied and said, Oh, we have the evidence. Well, they didn't have the evidence or they lie about a method or equipment that can pick up evidence that they don't have. Again, legally, they can tell you they like, I can say I have your fingerprints at the scene of a murder. I don't have to have them. I can lie to you and tell you that, but that is a difference, much different type of ethical scenario than a car stop. So a car stop, the thing I talked about before is something called the Carroll Doctrine, basically says I can hold you until I get legal resources because if I let you go and there's evidence of a crime in your car, you can go destroy it, okay? So that sets a different precedent for the police officer. Time and space are very important versus if I'm questioning you in a crime, those are not present, So now I can lie to you without violating your fourth. I know it sounds really dumb. Here's what the majority of people need to understand. Overwhelmingly, police officers are not going to lie to you. Now, if you ask an undercover cop if he's undercover, yes, he can lie to you, and he should. That's one of the times I support, you know, people lying. For sure. Uh, Yeah, police officers lie. But realistically, outside of that, the stuff you see in movies and stuff like that, has stuff like that happened, yeah. It is exceedingly rare. And I will tell you right now, it looks much worse for the police department and the prosecutor for that evidence to be admitted in trial than it does for you. If I lie, if I had to lie to you about a bunch of stuff to get that confession, that starts to introduce that reasonable doubt. Mm-hmm. And that's how people get set home innocent that are really guilty. And so I had an instructor actually at the drug interdiction course one time, and he said this and it just rang true. And it stayed in my head my entire career is you don't want a case named after you. You know, you don't want the Tom rule. Okay. So don't do anything. If you don't know a hundred percent, the legal ground you're standing on, don't do it because a, you're likely to get to lose your case and B you're likely to make everything tougher for everybody else. Cause now that there's a Tom rule, I can't do whatever I just did. And so I know that sounds really crass. Like, why not do the right thing to do the right thing? Well, that's really, in essence, what I'm saying is the majority of us said, what's the right thing to do? Just do that. Okay. Within the confines of the Constitution, they can lie to you, but the majority of police officers aren't. Which, to be honest, I can understand that because there have been times that me as just a nurse, right? Like just a regular RN, there are things that I really believe that are going on with a patient. And whenever I want to tell a doctor about it and they completely blow me off, like I, 
I would never be dishonest about it, but I can understand if I objectively put myself in the position of an officer, not that I'm saying that it is okay, not that I'm saying that it's acceptable, nor should be the norm. I just know how I feel as a nurse, really feeling like this is a situation that a patient is suffering from and that I have the ticket for them not to have to suffer anymore, that they would be dishonest in order to prove because they truly believe with everything inside of them that this is the truth with all of their, you know, experience and profession and just intuition. I mean, I get it. Don't think it's okay, but I get it. Like I'm cutting them a little bit of slack in those situations as well if that is the reason why, like if that's the reasoning behind it. Well, to be fair, just like healthcare for nurses is taking a huge shift right now. Mm -hmm. I started law enforcement and I went through our shift. Okay. And for those that don't know, the shooting in Ferguson, Missouri, to me is kind of one of those, I can literally put my finger down and say August 9th, 2014, shit changed. Okay. Could have told you the year. You should have quizzed me on what year it was. I could have told you that. When was the Ferguson shooting? Yeah. So, and again, so stepping back, it's a seminal, it's a sentinel event for a lot of reasons, not just that the young man lost his life, which is tragic. Right. And again, I think that's terrible. However, looking at the totality of the circumstances, again, this is where that hot water situation comes Mm -hmm. in because I can literally tell you both ways. I can say, well, this stuff shouldn't have happened. But then at the end of that is that officer was in a fight, possibly for his life, and he used lethal force. I don't think that there's any question at that point the shooting was justified. And again, that's the unpopular opinion. My contention is there's a lot of stuff that could have happened up until that that could have prevented that from happening. Unfortunately, I can't go back in time and make that happen. So we're going to have to deal with hopefully preventing it in the future. And hopefully mm-hmm. shows like this do that. Right. And that's That was my hope is when you look at all the stuff that somebody listening to this will know, hey, that officer's scared. And I should just tell him, I'm not shaking because I'm under the influence of alcohol or drugs. I'm shaking because I'm terrified. And I have, you know, a mental health diagnosis that makes symptomatic trembling part of what's going on. Mm -hmm. Impulsiveness, brushing up with authority. Those are all things that officer would want to know going into that. Like if I could pull up your driver's license and see all that stuff before I even walked up to your car, he would. Because then he'd like, oh, this person is likely to act a certain way. Remember, when he's walking up or she is walking up to your car, that officer is walking up to your car. They don't know any of this. So if you don't tell them, you can't be mad at them for not acting in accordance with you. Because you didn't tell them. So, yeah, it's a sad situation where we all assume something and then it all bites us all in the end. And I've seen, I've been an officer where the situation was not anything, but boy, I certainly got a lot of talking to about it, but I'm like, that's not what happened. But that's, it's not okay, but it is because that's how the crowd perceived it. So I understand it. It wasn't a personal thing. And again, I think that's also a very fascinating thing. And I hope a sociologist or an anthropologist someday wants to talk about this. Prior to Ferguson, things were different. I can tell you because I was a police officer both pre and post Ferguson. And pre Ferguson, it was very much a job. It wasn't personal. If I knew you were a drug dealer and I pulled you over and I didn't have a reason to search your car, and I know this because like I said, I literally did it. You know, I'd be like, hey, what do you got in the car today? They're like, nah, not today. I'm like, okay. Well, thank you very much. Here's your license, proof of insurance. Feel free to drive off. Because here's the deal. One, I don't want a case named after me. All right. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to do anything illegal. Two, if they are a drug dealer, they'll do it again. I don't have to catch you today. I'll catch you tomorrow, you know? And it's not worth my integrity or anything else to do something stupid to get into your car. Okay. Versus, so that leads to when I do catch you, people didn't question it. They're like, well, you know, it wasn't personal. The Absolutely. drug dealer didn't get mad at you. The drug dealer was like, hey, I'm trying to sell drugs and get away with it. You're the cop. You're trying to catch me. All right. It was very nonchalant, believe it or not. I had a lot of great conversations with people I arrested because it wasn't personal, man. It was just Tom arresting, you know, Mark. Like, that's just how it was. Post Ferguson, no. People would tell you, I know where you live. They tell you your address. I'm going to shoot your wife. I know what she looks like. I'm going to kill your kids. They, they It flipped. And so when people are like, why do police officers act like this? Well, imagine the bad guy 
that you're putting in handcuffs is saying, I know your wife's name. I know what car she drives. I know where you live. I know where your kid goes to school. I'm going to kill them. And that happened to me. I know for a fact right. that happens. It happened to me. So the point is when people assume both the officer and the person in the interaction, a lot of bad things are likely to happen. So if you're a person with ADHD or anything else and you want the officer to know, you have to be willing to tell them because we don't know. And I think that's a great thing to prevent a lot of problems. And the more we get that out there, unfortunately, there's a big stigma for any mental health. There absolutely is. Well, and cops. (laughs) So like across the board. I will be honest, though, even though I am a former law enforcement, like I said, I still refer to myself as a cop. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if you've heard it. I still say it. Boy, they've done a lot of dumb stuff recently. There's been a lot of dumb stuff and I'm like, oh, you're not helping. You're really, bro, bro, or sis, you're not helping. You're making this a lot worse. So I think some of the anger and I think some of the societal attitude of they need to do better is correct. They're not wrong. Okay. But you wouldn't ask a surgeon to do a surgery without a scalpel, you know, but you would so, ask a nurse to do better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, fair, fair <laughs> oh, enough. Sorry, okay. sorry, sorry. I'm just rolling the dice of this whole like Redonda thing. So yeah, no, but that, that, but that's where healthcare is going, and yeah. that's where law enforcement's been. Yeah, is society wants us to start the IV without starting the IV, uh-huh. and unfortunately, those are two things that are just they're, they're just not going to happen. Society, society is going to have to make that decision of we're okay with these guys starting IVs within their, you know, legally confined, you know, abilities, but we got to stop bitching about it or stop expecting IVs. It's one or the other. Right. And I know that's a, that's the closest healthcare slash law enforcement analogy I can think of. I think it's a good but, one. But I, but it's very, very true. Society wants me, me, <laughs> society wants them to do all this work without pissing anybody off without, I'm like, that's just not a thing. I can't right. tell you how many times, and I guarantee you somebody listening to this is going to know exactly what I'm saying. They know where there's a drug house. They live near a drug house. There's a drug house across the street, whatever. Well, why don't the cops just bust them? Well, it's called the Constitution. Okay. Unfortunately, we all know what's going on, but until I have evidence, mm-hmm. okay, so there is this overwhelming sense that cops just do whatever they want. I'm like, no, I can prove it to you. Like, we all know there's that one house in our neighborhood, we're like, meh, you know, but again, that also goes back to assumptions. Maybe it's not, maybe the cops know, maybe the cops have been investigating it. They're like, it's not a drug house. It's just a really shitty house. I don't know what to tell you. You know, it's rented out by a bunch of kids. They have, you know, cars coming and going 24 hours a day. They don't take care of the house. So it looks crappy on the outside. Everybody else in the neighborhood's like, oh, it's a drug house. It's not, it's not, but that's what the cops are there for. That's their job. And unfortunately, far too often, like with healthcare, we want them to do so much more with so little, you're not going to get quality results. And I don't know how else for people to understand that. So if you listening to this can do anything to help the police officer understand your condition to prevent, then really some of the responsibility is on the person. If you don't want to tell them that's fine, but then you have to accept that consequence. Right. You know, like I love pizza. I love pizza. Uh, so I'm not mad that I'm overweight when I eat pizza. Cause I know I'm eating pizza. You know? I saved a slice of the dill pickle pizza for you. I just open record. I, Oh, <laughs> are the most disgusting thing I've ever had. So yeah. Well, when you showed me that picture <laughs> I'd ever seen, I was physically repulsed by looking at that pizza. It's gross. But you were saying you love pizza. Oh, I love pizza. Unless there's pickles on it. Again, this is the conundrum of Tom. This is a conundrum of law enforcement, of healthcare. You, We love something and somehow you can still find a way to make it like that. Like, no, it's the same, it's the same thing. Have you ever read the book by Malcolm Gladwell, Talking to Stranger? No. I don't know if you're like a person who just loves to read. You? Oh, good. Well, then I would highly recommend that book because it talks about, I think it was Sandra Brown, which was a very unfortunate situation where she was pulled over by a police officer and yep I think it was but the conversation did not go well thought that she was suspicious and he 
she was like held for a period of time and she ended up, I think, committing suicide. But I don't remember. I know the case. I vaguely remember it, but I don't remember. And I could be saying it wrong, but like that's how the book opens. And it's really fascinating about how our conversations portray the ideas of how people think that we should react and the people think that we should respond. And it's just not really based in facts that we all have this individualism that, you know, like boils down to how you talk to people and that there is a lot more truth and that people are actually more inherently good than not. But it's, I would highly recommend it, but I love Malcolm Gladwell as a whole. He is like, oh, dreamboat of an author for me. So one of the things you talked about is something I think the American police officer in general has lost. And everybody's got a different word for it. We called it jive. We, that's just, that's the word I used for it. So we just used a lot of our department. And jive is that ability to just talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. Okay. A lot of police officers, for a lot of reasons, the confidence the in their training, their ability, and what's going on around them. And again, way different world post-Ferguson versus pre-Ferguson. It was almost like a job requirement. Like the old cops would be like, shut up. Did you even hear what the suspect said? Like you didn't listen. The suspect was telling you the truth. You didn't listen. Like, But those old timers that are so often vilified and sometimes for good reason, mm-hmm. but overall – those guys were the ones beating it into our head. You have to talk to people. You know, that's your primary weapon is your words. It's not your gun. It's your pen and it's your mouth. And that's how you really do your job. Is We train so much and so much of focus, including the public, is on that gun. But, I mean, out of the thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of hours I worked as a police officer – you can boil down to the amount of time I had a service weapon in my hand to minutes. And so what did I really do? I really talked to people. But again, the society changed. Society changed. You can actually start this one all the way back to Rodney King. You know, and great. Mm. That was a gross. Again, that's also a case where. That was pretty disgusting. It was pretty disgusting. There's also, like I said, there's a lot going on with that case that. Also, you don't know. You do know. There's a bunch of stuff. Sure. However, I would tell you overall, like you said, disgusting. It was an egregious abuse of power. But here's one of the things that led from that. Okay. And again, I'm not saying this is not a question of whether it was right or wrong. This is a question of how did it affect law enforcement in dealing with American society? And what really happened from that was don't touch him. If you have a suspect, don't you touch him. If you touch that dude, you're going to be the next Rodney King. You know, do not, do not touch a suspect. Well, if I can't touch you and I'm trying to take you to jail and you start to fight with me, what do I have left? Mm -hmm. I have a taser. I have OC spray. And if those don't work, we're going to a baton. Nobody wants to pull out a baton. Like that's just automatically you're going to break someone's bone. Now you're going back to Rodney King. Oh, if that doesn't work, I have to shoot you. In American society, it was like, well, we don't want cops beating us up. Okay, well, now they have to shoot you. So which one do you really – and I'm not saying saying it's an either-or situation. What I'm saying is before, if a suspect fought with me, take him to the ground. You know, put him in handcuffs. That's your job. But when society said, no, 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 we don't want another Rodney King. And again, we don't want another Rodney King, okay? But an officer taking someone to the ground and use of physical restraint does not have to be that level. But nobody wanted to take that chance. Okay. So the same thing post-Ferguson is everyone's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. If you have any interaction with a suspect, you know, you just plan on going to hell. And so we lost this ability to communicate with those around us. And as much as I want to blame police officers, and I do, there is a hefty amount of responsibility on law enforcement to fix this problem. Society is going to have to pick what is an acceptable ratio because really society is what governs law enforcement. Right. So society has really set the rules that we live by. You know, like I said, I've met and spoke with police officers from England and other countries where they're not even armed. And, but they have way different rules. I'll tell you right now, you fight with a cop in England, you're, they're going to break your leg. Get ready. So this whole, oh, they're so much better because they don't shoot you. Really? 
Because I guarantee you, if you fight with that cop, the court over there basically said, yeah, we're going to make it so you can't shoot anybody, but you don't get to fight the cops either. You know, there has to be a give and take. And Not so to mention the Amer- prison system is a whole lot better too. Like it really, they're... Well, I, you know, that's an interesting question because I think it would depend on who you talk to. And here's why. America is very much, and I've seen it, based on you are innocent until proven guilty. Now, I know that's really hard to accept because of some of the things we see. I agree. There have been miscarriages of justice, and we've all seen them. But go to France, go to England, go to Spain, go to any of these what we would consider an advanced European country. Guess what? In France, if I think you're guilty of a crime, I can throw you in jail and then investigate it. You are guilty until proven innocent. And that is a way different conceptual con- you know, place to start from. Because like I said, if I think you're involved in a serious enough crime, like let's say there was a murder and you were involved, you were just there. I can legally detain you and throw you in jail until I get done investigating. And that would never, never, never fly in America. So do they have a lot of positives? Yes, I agree. They have a lot of positives. But I think America has a great idea of a legal justice system. I think what we're talking about today is the important part. The actual where the rubber meets the road interaction between police officers and the citizens is really what needs, I would say, prosecution level also, obviously, with Redonda Vaught being, you know, clearly on my mind. But that low level of prosecution, law enforcement interaction with the public used to revolve around talking. Mm-hmm. And now society has said, well, we don't want to talk to you. We want you to do your job, but we want you to do it now without questioning, talking, or anything else. And this is the inevitable conclusion is so we won't let police officers go into a dangerous situation without a gun, and then we basically train them that there's no other use but your gun. And that's not how I was trained. And so that's what I'm trying to say is this is a very different world. Yeah. Pre-Ferguson, it was like I said, the old school guys would be like, take the guy to the ground. You know, what, what, are, you, what are you doing? You know, like, get, get to it. Now it's like, please, sir, stop. Oh, you won't stop. Now I got to tase him. We just jumped like three levels on the use of force ladder because I don't have another option. And that's pathetic. I didn't, I did not subscribe to that, you know, theory. I was very much, if I told you to get on the ground and you didn't, I was going to put you on the ground. That's just how it was. The shooting in Wisconsin, I can't think of the young man's name, but basically three officers were involved. And again, it's a situation like Ferguson where ultimately he pulled a knife. He was trying to avoid arrest. He was using physical force and he pulled a knife out of a vehicle. Honestly, at that point, I'm sorry, the officer, that's their last resort is deadly force with the use of a firearm. My problem with that case is not how it ended. Well, it is how it ended. My problem is that there were so many things that could, I feel, stopped prior to him pulling that knife out that the shooting was unnecessary up until that point. So it's a weird conundrum. The officers aren't guilty of doing something bad because I think the shooting was justified. I think the officers are guilty of not preventing the shooting because if they, there was three of them, there was one of him. If they would have just tackled him, you know, he never gets into the car. If he's tackled on the ground in handcuffs, he never gets into the car. He never gets shot. And I can't say that's the same for every case. I'm just saying like those are the types of things I see where law enforcement could have, in my opinion, and again, this is strictly my opinion, but in my opinion, could have done more to prevent the shooting. But ultimately, when they got to that point, they got to the precipice, which was shoot or not shoot, they didn't have another option. And that's what I'm saying is society's got to get on the train of, okay, well, if you fight cops, we're all to fight back. Or do we want to keep seeing the same things we're seeing? Because I don't think we do. I don't want to see it. I know the cops don't want to see it. I'm sure society doesn't want to see it. So if you can do anything to level that playing field, and I hope I said something today that will stick in someone's head that will help, then I think it's worthwhile. I think you said a lot because... I've said a lot. (laughs) No, I mean, like, look at all of these. I don't know if you can see all of my notes. I have about four or five postcards or postcards, post-it notes that I just... 
of the things that you were saying that I really love that I feel like I need to make an image out of too, to share with uh, the followers on Instagram. Like I said earlier, I genuinely appreciate the time that you took to help those of us with ADHD, because I mean, honestly, we're all not going to be perfect. And there are a lot of us that are going to do things that are not okay. And they're not right. I mean, truly, statistically speaking, but to know how to have a conversation that evens it a bit more where it doesn't exacerbate the feelings of the officer that is dealing with us as well as maybe can to know that's a good way to go about it that can help ease our anxiety as well so that we can have a very productive interaction, whether it's speeding or whether it's whatever. (laughs) I appreciate that. Well, and part of the reason I talk about all this is because one, I'm passionate about it. So I tend to ramble a lot when I'm passionate. Two, it's something I did. Uh, Again, I believe it with healthcare, but a hundred times more so with law enforcement. It's not just your job. Like it permeates what you do. Like, like I said, literally people would tell me they knew where I live. They were going to come kill my family. Like you can't now get off guard when I'm at home. I now got to stay on guard. Is that knock at my door? Is the neighbor's dog barking because there's a cat or someone's in the backyard? You know, I, I I know that sounds terrible and some people are going to see that as an excuse, but it's not like, that's the type of thing that keeps you awake at night. So part of the reason for rambling so much was, and I don't want to seem like a defense of the American law enforcement officer. I think they can defend themselves. I think it's so I like to know the, all the details when I go into something. So hopefully someone listening to this understands a little bit more. They can extrapolate a little more information because they have an understanding of possibly where that officer is coming from. And if you know that, you can make a more informed decision of what you want to do next. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to cooperate or you don't want to divulge personal information, then don't. That is your God-given right as an American citizen. You don't have to, okay? But be aware of the consequence. And that's what I'm saying is that's why I wanted all the information out there. If you don't want to tell them, you don't got to tell them. Don't tell them. But when you're sitting there fidgety, <laughs> they start going, hey, have you done methamphetamine in the past you know, 48 hours? Don't act mad because that's their job. Like you can't get mad at them for you not giving them information and them trying to ask questions. Like, It's got to go one way or the other. And I hope, like I said, if anybody gets anything useful out of this, then it was worth it. It was totally worth it. First of all, I enjoy talking to you. Oh, likewise. And I was thinking when you're like, if anybody got anything useful, I'm like, I got a lot of useful things (laughs) (laughs) from all my notes. So yeah, I just think the next time anybody gets in a car that's listened to this, or if you're in a car listening to this is, you know, if the police officer stops you and he's like, Hey, can I search your car? Say no, you don't have to feel bad. And I'll be, like I said, there is a lot more beyond these cases and what you see than just your interaction. Okay. So if that officer says, Oh, okay. And he walks off, then he walks off. You know, I mean, don't assume that there is nefarious intention. That's, Every time. that's tough. That's tough not to do. Just from it our it, brains, it is well, very hard not is. to have those assumptions. It is. it is. And if you are a young adult that is a minority, you might feel more disenfranchised or like, oh, the cops are out to get me. If you have ADHD, I'll tell you another population that has a lot of problems with police officers that just naturally going to, it's like gasoline and matches, schizophrenia. Oh, yeah. Police officers. For sure. I mean, and again, unfortunately, that's not the schizophrenic's fault. Right. But that's not the law enforcement fault's <laughs> fault either. And uh, so it's a problem with the healthcare in this society, in this country. Of but one billion percent. One billion. And everyone suffers. Correct. Unfortunately, that schizophrenic's gonna suffer the most when he gets yep. shot. Yeah. And I will tell you, I mean, I won't get into too many specifics, but I have drawn on my weapon with not just like, oh, I'm on a felony car stop. I have a couple of times in my career when I was a law enforcement, I drew my weapon with the intention of killing a person, a human being. And I can tell you, (laughs) I I just watched that. What is that? The other guys the other day, 
Have you ever seen the other guys? I don't know. I'm really it's bad. A, it's, a movie. it's a funny cop movie. It's a funny cop movie with Taking Will Ferrell and Mark note. Wahlberg. Yeah, you should. Oh, I think I have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, they're in a support group for cops shooting people. And this one cop, and I get it, it's a comedy. And I laughed. I mean, I did laugh. It was funny. But this cop is just like, so I told him, give me another one. I was like, bang, I shot him. And like, everyone's laughing. And I'm like, it's funny in the context of the movie. But I could tell you right now, having pointed a six-hour handgun at somebody with the full intention of ending a human life, there's no going home and laughing. I'm laughing now because I'm just thinking about the other guys. But I guarantee you it's not like Lethal Weapon. Like, we don't go home and we drink a beer. We're like, ah, fuck it. We're fine. Like, no. It is – first of all, it's a mountain of paperwork, all right? Let's just be real honest. Right off the bat, if you clear leather, that's what we – you know, you pull your gun out of a holster – instantaneous hour paperwork all right let's just be real fair you're going to be at the station for one hour minimum completing paperwork so there's that but two and again it's a little different i've been on car scenes where we're doing a felony stop so you get your gun out for safety but there's not really an escalation or threat it's more of a hey we have to be safe so this is what we're doing to be safe but i have been in those situations where all of a sudden like literally blink of an eye it went from a normal call to shouting and putting my finger on the trigger and when you go home it's not funny it's not something we enjoy we don't sit around and relish the feeling i don't know how to tell you i didn't it's weird also i didn't feel bad like i knew like what i did what i was doing and why i was doing it but at the same time, I also felt sick. Like, I didn't feel guilty, but I knew I didn't want to do it. Like, I don't know how else to explain it. Yeah, that you, were, that you were put in that situation. Yeah. And so for people, because of movies, like I said, I love the other guys. I thought it was hilarious. But if you just watch that and you're like, well, that's what cops really do. Are there dickhead cops that I'm sure are like, I shot a guy. I don't care. I'm sure there are some psychopaths out there. The average cop male or female wants to go home wants to see their family wants to watch the football game they want to drink a beer you know they don't want to shoot anybody so they feel forced as well as anybody else to be in a situation where i would much rather talk to somebody or do something else but i can't So there's a lot of work, and I think law enforcement does bear the large brunt of responsibility for changing it. They do. But I think society is going to have to make a couple hard decisions about what we want and what we find acceptable. And then say, here's the law. Your job is to enforce the law. Here's the law. Enforce this. And unfortunately, until that happens, though, Everybody wants their cake and they want to eat it too. And that's just going to make you lose both. So you're not going to get any cake or anything else. So, well, there's obviously a lot of work to do in our country. I mean, just all across the board. I mean, just the help for us to be able to, us as in neurodivergent people, to be able to, you know, roll with the punches as they (laughs) come. No, but to have good and productive ideas in our arsenal whenever we come in these situations. And of course, like, I'm not saying that every person's going to get in trouble, but just even the most minor thing for us not to look completely guilty just because of our presentation. (laughs) I mean, that's just a real thing for us in reality. It's great to know. And I appreciate so much you taking the time to help give us ways and words that can help us have productive conversations in situations that are just really horrible for us in our world. And I would say to somebody that's neurodivergent or you have problems with comprehension or you're just like you're worried like oh god you know authority stop me like you said you get nervous just because the nurse manager calls you you know you now you know you know some of the things and so don't let the car stop know ahead of time like if i get Mm -hmm. stopped by a cop like you said i have all my stuff together so do i you know if i get stopped and 
they say, can I search your car? Already know you're going to say no. Don't let it worry you. You already know. If they ask you where you're coming from, just tell them. You don't got to tell them your life story. It's counterproductive. And honestly, they don't want to hear it. <laughs> they just want to know where you're coming from, where you're going, you know, so that they can start to ascertain, is this a person I want to question further? If you dump a plate of spaghetti in front of them, now they got to straighten the noodles out. Right. No, don't do that. It may not be a bad idea for those of you listening who struggle with ADHD, that it's just something that you have that you deal with, that with your license, registration, insurance, like whatever little pack you have in the glove box of your car, wherever it is. A card that says I'm ADHD. Yeah, that would be great. Or even have a sticky note of just like a quick three bullet reminder of a phrase to use. But I love the idea of having a card saying I'm ADHD, you know, here are the symptoms to expect with me right off the bat. So they can glance at it and say, okay, all right, time out. You handed me this card too. What is this about? And then that opens up the conversation for you to be able to have a real conversation about your symptoms and diagnosis, because we're not going to remember in that moment necessarily. We need a little something to tell us like how to have this conversation, a phrase, things like that. Great idea, Tom. I think that's good. Also, it would behoove anyone listening to this that was wanting to do that to look up local, state, and municipal and county law. Everywhere in America is different. I mean, there is federal standard law, but for the most part, for something like this, you're talking about things that come down to state law and local ordinances. Okay, so you might even live in a town where it has a different local ordinance than the next county over. So knowing some of this information is important. Mm -hmm. If you don't want to have any interaction with the officer, any interaction, there are certain things you can do. What I would tell you, though, and again, I see this, you can go to YouTube, like this is not you know, private information. You can go to YouTube and put in bad police stops and people are like, I don't got to show you anything, but you do have to show them. If an officer asks for proof of insurance to operate on a motor vehicle. So like, okay. So again, I came from, I was a law enforcement officer in Kansas, you know, not Ohio where I currently live. There are certain things I can ask for, or I shouldn't be asking for that is different than say Missouri, because in certain States I can say, no, you have to physically hand me your ID. Like, I have to be able to hold it. That's not true. In some states, you just have to visibly show it. So, like, you could literally leave your window rolled up and just place it to the glass, okay? So, knowing the difference can make the make a huge difference because if the officer is like, no, you have to hand it to me, and you're like, no, I listened to a podcast one time. I don't have to. Incorrect. And the next thing that's about to happen is he's about to break your window and drag <laughs> yeah. you out of a car, okay? So, when you hear that, again, I think it's important for the person to know what their limit is and what their local statutes are, because just because you don't like the police officer doesn't mean you get to not cooperate. That's good. That's going to lead to calamity. I'm telling you right now, if you're listening to this and you're like, well, I'll just tell that officer, I would not take the, uh, to this day, when I get pulled over, I don't take the, oh, I'm going to tell him what's going on. I go with the exact rules. I just told everybody else. I sit there motionless. I turn on any interior light. I don't make any movements towards like my glove compartment or the center console Same until he is standing there. And I tell him if he's like, and he says, okay, back. Yes. If I say, Hey, my driver's license is in my wallet. I have to reach in my coat. Like I let them know before I do it. Now there has been a couple of times where it's like rainy. Like, I think I've only been pulled over a couple of times. I shouldn't make it sound like this happens. (laughs) Every um, other week. Yeah. Every other week. But I, you know, there was one time where I did have all the information bundled. Cause I want to say it was, maybe it was snowing. I just knew I was like, this cop, I feel so bad for him. I was like, he don't want to be out doing this shit right now. Okay. So when he came up to the window, it was there. I just handed it to him. It was a great, you know, great stop. Moved me on my day. Not a big deal. But the point is if you are not comfortable, then sit still, sit still and do it in front of him and be like, look, I am about to reach for my insurance in my glove compartment. Are you okay with that? You know, Wait until he gives you the answer as well. Yeah, because I'll tell you right now, I pulled over a car full of young men at about 2 a.m. on a Friday night in an area where there was heavy shootings. And I know more to walk up to the car and I'm at the driver's window and I can see four occupants. So already I, so again, mm-hmm. police calculus, one versus four. 
already I'm like, well, I hope this goes well because yeah. I'm not Superman. One versus four is bad odds. And so no more am I talking to the guy than he just pulls out a gun and puts it on the dash. Like, bam, that quick. And he's like, oh, well, I just had it. I thought you might want to see it. And I'm like, bro, <laughs> you have just changed the entire tempo of this you know, police stop because you've introduced a gun. Now, he didn't do anything wrong. I didn't yell at him. You know, I didn't do anything else, but it was just like, I did say, hand me the gun. I put it on top of the hood of the car where he couldn't easily, you know, access mm-hmm. it, stuff like that. And I'm glad he told me. But the point is, literally, if I was concerned with my safety, I would have got to that question and he introduced it. Like, you just, oh, I'm going to make this an issue. That could have gone bad. You know, you start reaching for a gun because now what do I have to assume? If the three other people in their car start reaching for something, I have to assume they have guns now. Right. And so I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And again, we all laughed afterwards. It was like, okay, well, please don't ever do that again. You just made the cop shit his pants. Like, don't, <laughs> you know. But that's not how every interaction stopped. You know, some interactions end bad. Mm-hmm. And he had every constitutional right to have that gun. But the manner in which he presented it changed everything. And so that's why I'm saying, again, I've said it a dozen times, is you do have the power to control somewhat of what's going on with that officer. So if you choose to be quiet, then expect him to treat you like someone's quiet. If you tell him way too much information, great. Now I got to sift through it. But the point is you are literally controlling. You're the rudder to the boat. And so I think if you want to plan ahead, you can. You you certainly have a lot of information. But And it sounds wise. To plan ahead for us. <laughs> well, but I don't want to see anybody go, well, I don't have to handle my license because I looked up, I Googled it. Well, you might be in a part of Oklahoma or Texas or Arkansas or who knows, Nevada. I don't know. You might be somewhere where, no, the officer mm-hmm. has a state right to hold your identification. And I'll tell you, I've been trained in like forgery documents and stuff. So that is something important. I want to feel it. I want to hold it. And so there are places where that's not necessary and there are places where it is. And so to assume, again, using that word again, can lead to a lot of bad interactions. So have a plan, know what information you want to give and kind of move forward. I guarantee you, even if you get a ticket, it's not the end of the world. I mean, it, it sucks. Nobody wants a ticket. Right. A ticket before, you know, but the point is, if you walk away from an interaction with the worst thing happening that day is you got a ticket for a seatbelt or speeding, then count your blessings. All right. I've seen it as a nurse and a law enforcement officer. I don't mean that in any particular way. If the worst thing going on in your life is you got a ticket, it sucks. It ain't the worst thing. So deal with the fact that you just got a ticket. I think you'll be fine. Well, thank you. Again, so much. And Tom, where can people go to find you and Ben's podcast? So that's a great question because Ben normally uh, gives all the social stuff. stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I I, so I tell people. I remember that from November. Uh, yeah, I don't deal with that crap. Google just some podcast. Just some podcast is actually the name of our media company. So you'll find our website and then you get to pick which one of the four podcasts you kind of want to listen to. But we are on all the major podcast like spotify instagram facebook you know twitter all that stuff so that's what i would say is just google just some podcast and take a look from there i'll be sure to google it and put it in the show notes since you're not going to do the homework for it uh per per usual Um, (laughs) (laughs) but thank you again so much i really appreciate you and your knowledge and your time that you have to offer oh thank you very much ma'am If you would like to contribute to this podcast, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the neurodivergent nurse, where you can get exclusive bonus episodes, script of the show prior to the release, uncut video interviews of the guests, input on upcoming shows and ideas, and even more. Also, be sure to follow the neurodivergent nurse on Instagram and TikTok. And if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with someone that you think could also benefit from the neurodivergent nurse. And go ahead while you have time and while you're thinking about it and rate it and leave a review five stars on your favorite listening platform so that other people can find the show easily as well and i hope you have a wonderful week and i can't wait to talk to you again